0: Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. All right, friends. Hey, good evening. If you can do me a favor, uh, just as we get ready to start. Uh, you're sitting around these nice round tables Um, if you can make sure that you know or at least have heard the names of the people at the table before we start just take 20 30 seconds introduce your name if you've already done that great you're ahead you get an a for the day all right get to know the names of the people we'll start in a second all right yeah that's the dynamic is that there will be a quiz um Notice the sound level at that moment when we say, hey, talk to your table, ask them a question, uh, and then the, the, no, the noise and the energy in the room picks up. There are moments where we want to have that kind of conversation and even that kind of energy in the room, but I know what happens is sometimes I ask a question and I'll say, okay, talk about this at your table, and you're like, I'm not saying a thing, right? <laughs> um, we, we do want uh, our conversation as we study the letter to the Philippians uh, to intersect with your daily life. And to intersect with your discipleship as a follower of Jesus Christ. And so some of the conversations we're going to have, we don't want to get too personal. We realize you're just learning some of the names of the people here. But we want you to help one another start to recognize how this particular letter by Paul and how scripture, uh, how it intersects with our daily lives and how we can start to begin to apply it or see the application points. Um, So we are studying this letter to the Philippians. We'll talk about the city of Philippi in just a few moments. Um, But I've intentionally titled uh, this study that we have with a subtitle that I, I think it's worth memorizing. Because I think especially the three big words in this help us frame up some of the major themes of the letter. And so one of the things that I want you to kind of put in your brain today and hold them through next week. Next week's spring break, we won't meet. And then as we come back again in two weeks on Wednesday night is this phrase, partners in advancing the gospel. If you remember these three words, partners advancing the gospel, you'll remember some of the major themes throughout the letter of the book of Philippians. Our goal today will be to talk about some of those things. Perhaps the, I don't know, best metaphor I could come up with, um, which might not be saying much. Um, I have three kids. I mentioned it to you all. And uh, sometimes we like to play family board games. So we have, if you don't know our family, we have a 13-year-old daughter, her name is Grace. We have a 10-year-old son, his name is Sawyer. And we have a six-year-old youngest daughter, her name is Eleanor or Ellie. And Ellie, when we play board games, sometimes is not of the age where she knows what's going on. Some of you remember this, some of you were the youngest child. And so one of the things that we need to do for her is we need to give her a partner in that process, okay? Now, Paul recognizes this about what God does with us, is that God in Jesus comes, and he wants to partner with us in life and help us get where we need to go. And so Jesus comes down on our level, he comes in the flesh, and he teaches us, and he is an example for us of how to live. And not only that, but then God invites us into a community. And I know sometimes community is one of those things we have to grow into and learn, and learn how to be a community with one another. But he says, hey, you all as the church, you all are partners together. And so today, one of the things we wanna ask is this question, what is partnership? What does this word really look like? My hunch is this, when I say the word partners in, in our context, American context, we oftentimes think of money. We're partners in an economic venture of some kind, partners in business. And this partnership that we have does include money in Philippi but it goes far deeper than that. We live in a context where the average person in our context is hungry for that very word, partnership. Another way to translate it is the word fellowship. Unfortunately, when we translate it that way, sometimes we think of fellowship dinners and fried chicken, and that's about as far as we go, but it goes far deeper than that. So the second word we're gonna talk about is this word advancing. All of us want to be a part of something, and Paul was a part of something. He was wanting to create a movement, and that's part of what we want to do here as well is we want to say, okay, let's come and let's study this letter, but then let's go be a part of something that is moving on beyond just this room. And the final word, gospel, if you're not familiar with the the meaning behind that word, it simply means this, good news. Good news. Our family this week um, will go to a funeral tomorrow uh, of someone who's a dear friend, actually a friend of our oldest daughter. It's the first funeral she will attend of someone that she knows. And so we've wrestled this week with loss but we've also prayed about the hope of the resurrection. And we've recognized that sometimes it's when we face the reality of sin and death that we recognize our need for good news. And I'm thankful that I was able to attend, even this last Saturday, a funeral of a friend. And we were able to proclaim the good news there. Because good news is one of those things that we want to advance. A couple has a baby, or they find out they're going to have a baby. Good news! And they want to advance that news, so they tell everyone. And they become partners in that process. Well, this is what we want to do in this class together, is we want to discover what does it look like to be partners in advancing the gospel uh, together. So you've all received this journal Bible of Philippians, um, and the church wanted to give this to you as we study this together. The, the beauty of this is that if you don't like writing in your own Bible... You can write in this one all you want, and no, know, you know, it'll be okay, and, and you can turn to the other Bible that has the gold fringes on the side, and it'll be fine. But I want to invite you um, over the next several weeks to digest this letter, this book, and at the end of every session, I'll have a page of questions that I want to challenge you to ask in the days that follow the class, and I'll have a section of text that I'll ask you to read. This particular time, because it's two weeks away, I want you to get in and I'm going to ask you, I'm not giving you a grade, I'm not going to check your work, but I'm going to ask you to read all four chapters and to read all the way through and in that process to just ask the questions that we're going to ask today. What does it look like to be partners in advancing the gospel? So as we begin, I want to pray. I am glad you're here. I love this. And part of the reason why I love it is I feel called to help people, to be partners with them in growing in their discipleship to look more like Jesus and understand him a little bit better. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he has come to be an example for us. That God, not only did he come to be an example, but God, he came to give his very life for us. And that, Father, in that sacrifice, we find even the greatest example of how we're called to love and how we're called to live. So, Father, as we open up this letter today from Paul to the church in Philippi, I pray that we will hear your Spirit speaking not only into their world, but, God, your Spirit speaking into our lives and our situations as well. God, we come and sometimes we're desperate. God, sometimes we come and we need hope. Father, sometimes we come and we've just plateaued in our own walk and our own discipleship, and we need to be challenged to walk further and to look more like Jesus. So I pray your spirit will work in this time and through our words, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to start out in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 1. Something you need to know about Paul is that Paul opens up his letters oftentimes with a thanksgiving prayer. This was fairly common in ancient letters. We kind of know what letters are supposed to look like in our world today. Dear so-and-so, sincerely, Jim, here's the date, here's the address, here's what that looks like. Or... In our context, it's probably more emails than it is letters. But in the ancient world, letters oftentimes opened up with thanksgivings for certain people. Paul, being a Christ follower, made it a thanksgiving or a prayer. In this particular text, he opens up saying, Paul and Timothy, Timothy's a young man who travels with him, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints. This word here for some of you, uh, we need to make sure that we clarify. This just means holy ones. It doesn't mean perfect people. It means people who have asked for forgiveness from Christ, and they are followers of Jesus. We can almost translate it church members, all those who are part of the followers of Jesus. To all the saints in Christ who are in the city of Philippi, together with the overseers. These, by the way, are elders. Uh, This in the ancient world is the same kind of word as a manager or a steward, uh, we find this word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, but the elders or the overseers and the servants or the deacons or the ministers. So he's talking to the entire church, to the saints, to the overseers, to the deacons. He's welcoming them into this conversation. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, I thank my God in, for all of you and all my remnants of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, always making my prayer with And I want you to see this word here, and perhaps in your Bible, in your journal, write that word off to the side. We're going to come back to this word joy, especially at the end of the letter. Paul is in prison, and one of the major themes of this letter is joy or rejoicing. Now, we'll talk about suffering in two weeks. We'll talk about Roman imprisonment. We'll talk about the circumstances. Then we'll come to the very end of the letter and we'll go, yes, and yet in all circumstances, rejoice. Don't have any anxiety. The Lord is near. In fact, he's at hand. Oh. So I want you to see that Paul right now is going to start planting some seeds that we're going to see in conversations come up later. So joy is one of those major themes. So here's our verse, verse 5. And all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul traveled to this church and Paul helped establish this church. And he very much saw them as a key component to his his goal of taking the good news of Jesus' resurrection, Jesus' kingdom to everyone in the world. And Philippi was perhaps Paul's greatest, when it comes to a church group of people, perhaps one of Paul's greatest partners other people's caused, caused him problems. You read the letter to the Corinthians, you're like, oh, Like, they, they kind of wanted to manipulate Paul. And, and even other churches, you look at Galatia, and you're like, oh, they, they wanted to add teaching of law on top of this. And Paul has to rebuke them. In fact, there's not a Thanksgiving prayer to the church of Galatia. But Philippians, one commentator, one scholar said, this is a friendship letter. Like, this is, this is a different kind of letter from Paul. This is a letter to friends. And this partnership word, um, some of you are familiar with the campus ministry here in a town called Koinonia. This This partnership word comes from a Greek word that can mean partnership, fellowship, or sharing, or having things in common. But the idea is kind of that metaphor, again, of my daughter and I saying, okay, let's play this together. We're in this together. Win or lose, this is us. And the Philippians invest money and resources and concern to help Paul advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is part of the reason for that theme. What we can do is we can actually trace this word partnership throughout the entire letter. And what you have in your handout is actually um, an outline of our time together. And you'll notice that it's keyed on this word partnership. So today, we'll talk about the partnership of the gospel. But I want you to see the topics that we'll deal with each week as we walk through the text. The second week, the partners in suffering theme, we'll talk about Paul in prison the third week, Paul, partners in mindset. Now, sometimes you think, I don't know that I need to be partners in mindset with anyone. Have you ever played a game with someone who wasn't a partner in mindset with you? Uh, I remember in Illinois, we played a game, I think it was called Euchre. Um, I played some various card games, but I'm not a big card game fan. But sometimes in those games, like, you need to have the same mind to be able to play together. Well, this particular letter, Paul says, no, we need to be partners in the mindset. And let me tell you who the mindset is. It's of Jesus. And he talks about how we live with each other, like not just at your table today, but like in family, like what mindset do you have? What attitude do you have as you walk through this life? And if you have partners of the same mindset, it's going to transform those relationships as you transform that mindset that you have. So we'll talk about that week three. Uh, Partners in work, partners in humility, partners in how we walk around. And then the last one, partners in joy. We mentioned that already. And the partners in how we walk around, Paul's going to say this, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And he's going to talk about the way that we walk is either with Christ or antithetical to Christ or unopposed to, to Christ. And we're going to ask that question like, almost like we have to go back to the beginning of our discipleship. Some, some of you might, might be there, which is great, and go, what does it look like to walk like Jesus? Because I know that my default setting is sometimes I walk like Jim Dalrymple. And I walk, and I can blame it on my parents, or I can go to a counselor and blame everything on my parents, or I can, I can go to a counselor and I can learn how to be more like Christ. Um, same is true when it comes to Scripture. I can come to Scripture and see how flawed I am, or I can come to Scripture and go, yes, I, I am a sinful person, but how do I learn to walk more like Jesus? And so we're going to ask that question uh, that particular week as well. Uh, so that's our series outline. If you skip a week, these are available on the podcast as well as on uh, Facebook. And then I'm more than willing to send you the handout notes, if you miss or if you miss a few weeks in a row and you'd like to get those during the course of the week. So we're going to start with this word partners and coming back to it. Um, this word partners, if we were to do a word study, I've mentioned it to you already that the word is the idea of participation. But this word itself is actually a word that is, is used throughout the course of the letter. Here's the problem. Is that not always in our English translations is the word translated with the same English word And and the only problem with that is that sometimes you miss the fact that it's a theme throughout the letter. And and if you look at the board up here, I've actually translated it with the word partner every time rather than participant or share. And you can start to see that this word is actually used throughout the entire letter. Now, when you're reading an email or when you're reading a document, a book, and the same word keeps coming up, you kind of go, oh, that might be important. And so what I want you to do at the very beginning is we're going to look at this letter kind of big picture. That's why I want you to read the whole letter in one setting or a couple settings if you can. It's because I want you to look at it in big picture and then we'll get really close. And oftentimes in our Bible reading, what we'll do is we'll read one verse or we'll read a small paragraph, which is great. But we'll forget that there's an entire context in here. And there's some great verses in here. Like to live is Christ and to die is gain. I can do all things through Christ. Oh wow, there's some great things in here, but if you miss the bigger picture, you won't really know what those smaller verses really mean. So partners. Now, here's my hunch. Most of us want to be partners with other people in these same things. That there's something that God has put into our soul that says, Yeah, that's that's what I want. That's what I need. So we're partners in the gospel. That becomes the umbrella term. We can almost like fill in the blank, put other words in there. Well, what is the gospel? Well, sometimes it's the grace. What is a grace? It's the gift. Our oldest daughter, her name is Grace. We struggled to have kids. And when we had our first child, her name was Gifts. And, and it's a free gift, an undeserved grace, an undeserved gift. So this, that is the gospel, right? Is that we're partners in this gift that God has given us. We're partners in the Spirit. Well, that is the good news. God puts His Spirit inside of us to guide us and lead us and comfort us. We're partners in the suffering. That's the gospel? Yeah, you're not alone. You're not alone when you when you hear that news. You don't have to be alone when that, that headline in your life becomes the new headline you didn't see coming. You don't have to be alone. The Holy Spirit, that Christ walks with at you. He knows suffering. Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And he walks with you. We're partners in that suffering. We're partners in the trouble, same kind of idea as as suffering. And we're also partners in the, and here's what he says about them, they're the only ones. This is how unique Philippi is. They're unique in their partnership of giving and receiving. There's this reciprocation in the relationship with Paul. And I, I have this hunch that if you were to chew on this concept this week, over the next couple weeks, you'll start to recognize this is something that we all need in our lives. And that Jesus has come and he said, no, in the church and in the community of the church and in the body of Christ, this is something I want us to help. I want you to have in your life. I want to help you so that you can mature to become more like Jesus. And so we can ask the question, how can I be more like this to other people? How can I be partners with them in sharing grace and and leading them and walk in step with the Spirit to, to lead them through times of trouble, times of suffering, and even in giving and receiving in that process? There's a triangle that's on your page there. Gordon Fee is a scholar who talks about this idea of partnership. And I I wanted to highlight it for you there. Um, He highlights the relationship this way in the letter. I think I'm a visual learner, so maybe this is helpful for some people and not for others. Um, But for for Gordon Fee, he says that this relationship is threefold: that the Philippians, that Paul, and that Christ, all three of them are in this partnership together, and all of them are working together to advance the gospel. And they all have unique roles. Paul is in prison, and yet he's proclaiming the gospel. And in fact, we find that at the end, the gospel is even being heard in Caesar's own household. Like, that's crazy. And yet, the Philippians are supporting Paul while he's in prison. And yet, Paul is writing this letter to encourage the Philippians to keep growing and keep going when times are difficult and there's distress. And that God and Christ in the the midst of this continues to give them hope and continues to lead them in the spirit. That this relationship that we have is a picture of what we are called to have as followers of Christ in our life today as we continue to be partners in the gospel today. So let's talk about this word advancing. Again, kind of still focusing on some major themes. I remember asking this question um, to a group of, of disciples at some point who were kind of new to following Christ. And I asked this question, and it was a genuine one I was asking myself. How do you know that you have grown this past year? And then I kinda just like dropped the microphone and stepped out of the room for a while. What measurements do you use? I mean, we are in 20, we're in the future, it's 2020, right? I mean, just rewind, we don't rewind things anymore, right? Just go back in time a little bit and go, it's, it's 2010 and you're forecasting out 10 years. Have you grown? Now, if you're like me, there's areas where you go, not as much as I want to. Maybe it's ways that are not healthy. Now, some of our metrics of how we measure growth, if we're, not, and you know, sometimes we can actually put this on your paper if you want to. Like, okay, over the last year, 2020, 2019 to 2020, I've grown. Uh, well, how do you know? Well, I've lost weight, I've gained weight. <laughs> Dep- I mean, depending on where you are, right? I mean, if it's my six-year-old daughter and she's not gained weight, that's a problem. If you're 40 and you've gained a lot of weight, it's a problem, okay? So the metric is really important. What, what about, oh, education? Well, I got a degree. What about career? I got a raise. Here's the problem. What if many of the metrics we use are fairly irrelevant when it comes to, like, the bigger picture of what it means to grow or advance, Paul's going to be concerned about advancing not just the gospel out there. Cuz see, that's part of the problem. When I said advance the gospel, you all are like, "I know, we need to go like take the gospel out into foreign missions and into our neighborhoods." No, no, no. See, the problem is is the gospel needs to advance here first. And as it advances here, then it also naturally begins to advance out there. Oh, so Paul, when he talks about advancing, is, is not, he's not going to have a both or either or. It's going to be a both and. The gospel needs to grow in you and advance in your life. How do you know you've grown? Can I give you a simple answer to just kind of wrestle with? Do you more, look more like Jesus today? Do you respond to life more like Jesus today than you did a year ago, six months ago, six weeks ago? this is maybe too autobiographical, when your kids are driving you crazy and you haven't slept for a few days and work's been really hard and and they're testing your patience, does your temper explode the same way that it did five years ago or is it worse? I'll be honest. Sometimes I have to ask the question, am I growing to look more like Jesus? When something difficult comes, suffering, trouble, the headline comes in my life. I I don't know what that headline is. When that headline comes... Do I respond with a a moment of faith that says it will be okay in the end? That doesn't mean that it's not hard. That doesn't mean that you don't weep. Jesus wept. Jesus was in turmoil. Jesus sweat drops of blood at the thought of suffering. You need to hear that about Jesus. It's not that he was a stoic in the sense of just hardened to pain. No, it's just he had a nevertheless hope identity of who God is and the hope that we have in the resurrection. That's part of the reason why I find it so interesting that at Lazarus' funeral, Jesus cries right before he raises him from the dead. You're like, whoa, wait, what, what, why did you cry? And I think he cried not just for Lazarus, but for the brokenness that we all experience. But the resurrection right after that's meant to be this vivid picture, not just for Lazarus, that was not a deal for Lazarus. Hey, eternity with God, or come back to this dusty planet and die again and have another funeral. No, Jesus said, "I'm going there to bring Lazarus back, so that you can know my glory, so that you can know this power that Jesus has." And in fact, that story is the reason why the people in Jerusalem wanted to start to uh, capture Jesus, to arrest him and kill him. Jesus traded places with Lazarus, and the same way he trades places with you. Part of the reason he wept, and part of the reason he traded places with Lazarus, is because he's tired of death. And I, attending two funerals this week, me too. Me too. I'm tired of sin. Tired of sickness? Tired of sickness being in the headlines. Tired of death. And we have this hope in advancing the gospel. So we're called to do this together. And notice this theme. I'm not going to read all of these for you, but notice this theme. It plays out not through the word advancing, but through the concept. God will bring this work into you to completion. What has happened to me has really been to advance the gospel. There's the word where I took the word from verse 12. In verse eighteen, only that in every way in all of this problem, only that Christ is proclaimed, that the gospel continues to be advanced. Notice what he says, man. I'll continue. I, I will remain. I, I want to do this because I want to care about your progress. So over and over again, Paul says, I press on. I strain ahead. I go ahead. And I look at my life and I look ahead toward the goal. And sometimes I think, yeah, we probably have some things to learn from Paul. Um, and and it, when it comes to the faith that he has, the the day of Christ. Um, is a theme that comes up early and it's one of those things I'm convicted of in my own discipleship it's too easy for me to get my eyes down on the ground and forget that I'm living for this bigger picture and and to forget that I'm living for eternity Um, I had a speaker one time who took a ball of yarn his name was Jeff Walling if you know know who he is he took a ball of yarn I'm going to illustrate it and he kind of just had a student walk to the other end of the building with his ball of yarn. And he says, Okay, if you want to take eternity, like this line doesn't even begin to do it justice, and here's your timeline of your life. So when Paul says the glory that is yet to be revealed in us far outweighs these temporary troubles, he means it. But boy, it's really hard to see life that way with that perspective. It really is. And and that's part of the reason why it is called faith. I, I pray the prayer that the Father prayed. I believe, help me in my unbelief. But I'm convinced that sometimes I don't have my mind set far enough on things above. So Paul's going to say things like this. Man, he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Christ. Man, I hope that you can begin to approve what's excellent and pure, and so that you can be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Like, start living for that day. And he comes on down here, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I might be proud that I didn't run in labor. He says, I hope that you hold on, so that all of this isn't for nothing. And then Paul later on will talk about the importance of the resurrection in his own life. I've given you those verses. So I I want us to recognize that the theme of advancing is one of those that plays out. And you'll begin to notice it. And I just want to introduce it here. And then week to week, we'll pick up and be like, hey, Cece, this is where that's at. And I hope that that's what happens this next week as you read as well. You're like, oh. And you might have places where you're like, this is advancing the gospel. Jim, you didn't see this. And I'll be like, man, I didn't see it. That's great. Come back and let's share that information uh, with each other in the course of that time. All right, let's get to the the last word there, advancing in the last phrase, the gospel. Here's an interesting stat. I don't know if you care about interesting stats or not. Uh, The word gospel occurs nine times in the book of Philippians. And you're like, so what, right? At some point you're like, that's an interesting stat. Here's what's weird. It only occurs nine times in the book of Romans, which is four times longer than Philippians. What does that say to us? Like Paul has packed that word in here in a unique way. And it's more dense here. Paul's entire life was leveraged to advance the gospel in his own life and in the life of other people. His entire life was focused on this phrase that we, not my phrase, but this phrase that we can use to capture what he's doing with his life. How he's leveraging it for Jesus. He has partnered himself with Christ and with others to advance this good news. What is the good news? Well, we could, we could label this all kinds of different ways. Maybe we could start at the resurrection. And we've already mentioned this, that death does not have to win the day. We could go beyond that. That the rulers of this world are not the only ones who are in charge. That there is a ruler over them, a king of kings and a lord of lords. And he one day will bring justice and judgment. That's good news that God loves the world, that God loves you, that God is not some distant being, that God actually comes down. In fact, throughout the Bible, God is always coming down and dwelling with us. And sometimes, sometimes we need that reminder. From the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve. Now they sinned, sure, but he came again. With it, to approach to people and say, I, I care about you. I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people. And so he literally put a tent called a tabernacle in the middle of their camp of Israel. And smack in the middle of the camp, he had them camp in a circle around him. He said, I want to be in your lives. Now, camping makes people get personal, doesn't it? And so he said, no, everywhere you go, I want to be in the middle of it. And then when they formed a nation... He said, no, no, I want everyone to focus on the city of Jerusalem and to come there to remember that I'm in the middle of their lives. And then when Jesus was born, John said this about Jesus. He came and he dwelt with us. That word is that same word for the tent. He camped with us, as in like in skin. He camped in flesh with us. And he walked around with us and he, he wanted to know us. He wanted to be with us. He wanted to know and, and wanted us to know him. And when he left, he said, it's actually good that I'm going away because when I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come and the Holy Spirit's going to dwell inside of you, as in y'all. And it's gonna, the Holy Spirit's going to dwell inside of my people. And, and so we become, Paul says, the temple of God or the tabernacle that goes around. And so now, here's the beautiful thing. God goes with us wherever we go. So we go to work and guess what? The Holy Spirit goes along with us. And, and, and the church, as we come to church, the Holy Spirit's here. And so we need to recognize that throughout creation, God has been wanting to dwell with us. Then in Revelation, it says this, now the dwelling of God is with men, and I'll be their God, and they'll dwell with me. Those are good news stories. We could go to Revelation 21, we won't, but in Revelation 21, 22, there's seven things that God says there's no more. No more tears. No more crying or mourning. No more pain. No more separation from your loved one. It's a C, but John is in exile across the sea no more sea no more darkness and in each of those things we find this good news that we have in Jesus that he's come I've listed for you in the chart there the number of times that the gospel occurs and I would encourage you just as every time you come across that go okay what is the good news story that we're called to advance in this particular uh, part yeah I'll take that thank you let me turn that on for you I think you should have audio now all right so any questions at this point? We've kind of here's how far we've gotten. We've gotten through the subtitle for the class. Congratulations. We've gotten really far. Any questions or observations that you have at this point? Okay, so here's what I want you to discuss just for 30 seconds at your table, okay? How can the church continue to get better at being more how can the church continue to get more effective at being partners in the gospel together? Partners in advancing the gospel, okay? 30 seconds to a minute. Go. How can we get better more effective at being partners in advancing the gospel together. All right. I... I know that there's like personalities even at tables. It's funny how when you put like three or four people together, the table creates its own personality. There's the introvert tables and the extrovert tables and the why are we doing this activity tables and the I love this table. Why did you make a stop table? Um, And we'll have these kinds of moments. Don't quit coming if you're like, that's not my thing. Okay? Just find a table and say, this isn't my thing. Is this your thing? No, let's just stare at each other, and it'll be okay. All right? <laughs> It'll be okay. We, we want you to keep coming. I do think there's something about being community in the flesh together and uh, being able to share in the course of the study together. Well, one of the things we want to do, and it might sound academic, uh, I don't want it to be merely academic, uh, but we need to understand like, who the Philippians are, which makes sense. Like, why is Paul writing this to them and what, like, what relevancy does it have to them? Here's why. Because if we can build a bridge from who they are and what Paul says to them, and if we have some things in common, which you do, then we might be able to understand some things that Paul might say, or depending on your understanding of Scripture, my understanding of Scripture, the Holy Spirit through Paul might want to say to you in your life today. So there are some things going on in Philippi um, that I think are helpful background information. This is also helpful, uh, sometimes it's just important for context to know like, okay, this is why Paul cares about citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. Well, why does Paul care about that? Because this is a Roman colony that fought in wars. They were soldiers. And that's how they got their citizenship is because they were soldiers. So when Paul uses citizen language, you need to understand that they would want, oh, citizenship. Well, I got mine through fighting a war. How'd you get yours? Well, my war has already been fought for me. Oh. So if you've ever watched Whose Line Is It Anyways? It's kind of an older comedic show. Um, sometimes they would have a, a, a comedy sketch on there where they'd have a green screen in the background. And then the, the improv comedy person, if you've never seen it, it's OK, you'll get it, kind of. Um, the, com- the, the, the improv person in front of the green screen didn't know what was behind him or her. But they would just put something random on the TV. Like, one of the episodes I saw was lizards running, or lizards sticking out their tongues and catching bugs. And then the three comedy people up here, the three comedians in the front, were trying to explain the scene in the background, and this person's trying to act as if they're in the scene. Well, you can imagine how chaotic that would be, right? Well, here's the problem when we come to Scripture. If you don't know what's going on in the background, you can make Scripture say almost whatever you want it to say. And we do that. Okay? Wherever two or three or more are gathered in my name, I'll be there. Well, guess what? God's always there. Well, what's, that, what's the background to that verse? When you're having conflict with each other and you need a reminder that I'm there, like it's not that that verse doesn't mean anything, it's just it means what it meant. And that when we need that reminder that God is still there, even when things are hard, even when we're not getting along with other people, in the church even, God says, no, no, I'm just as present in the midst of conflict as I'm in his communion. So we need that background information. So a couple things about Philippi, historical background. It is a Roman colony. You can see some of these things in your notes. It was actually a leading city in this particular region. This map's probably not big enough for you to read. Please don't get frustrated with me. Here's all I need you to know. Philippi is up here in Macedonia. If you ever want to get on a map and look for where Macedonia is at, look for the little M that sticks out in the Aegean Sea. You see this little M that's right here? And just go just north of that, and that's Philippi. Paul traveled quite a bit up in that region. In fact, a little bit over to the left, you see Thessalonica. A little bit further down, you see Berea. Why would Paul spend such so much time there? Well, there was an ancient Roman road called the Via Ignatia, or the Ignatian Way. This road went from over in the east all the way over to this little place that housed the city of Rome this road would have been a major thoroughfare for traffic and trade, but especially uh, for the military. In fact, we still have this road today. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone works for Moda or anything like that, but there's some things that, that, that the Romans did really well when it came to, to roads. And on this road, Paul walked. You, you can go there walk there today. Paul was a strategist in advancing the gospel. And he intentionally went to key urban areas that would then go into the suburban and rural areas and the gospel would spread out from there. It would become viral. Sorry, that's probably out of context during the coronavirus right now, but it would become viral, right? And and so this particular area was, notice what it says in the book of Acts, I've listed it for you, the leading city in the district of Macedonia. Now some other things. These are just historical things. It's named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon. Philip means, by the way, the name means "lover of horses." If that means anything to you at all, um, it's settled by. I've mentioned this. Those who retired out of the military, and Rome said, "Hey, thank you for your service. We have this plot of land. Not in Rome for you, because you know that's for those elites. Um, we're going to settle you over here in Philippi. And here's your plot of land. Here's your vineyard. Here's your settlement." And then they actually set up this city according to Roman law and the Roman standards. So their their form of government was according to the same type. So it was very much a Roman city. And for Paul to establish this, we recognize it's very much part of his strategy. So we're reading through the book of Acts. You can go read this if you want to. I'll kind of go through the highlights. And Paul is actually traveling. I'll go back to this map. Paul is actually traveling in this area here, and he's wanting to come down to Ephesus. Those of you who studied with Elijah, He wrote a letter to the Ephesians. Paul's missionary triangle, Ephesus, over here with Corinth and up there to Macedonia became kind of his missionary triangle. He was always traveling in this little triangle. But Paul wanted to come down to Ephesus in this second journey that he was on. If you ever want to Google this, just type in Paul's missionary journeys. There's three of them, okay? And and so you can look at this. This is his second one. And he wanted to come down to Ephesus, but he's actually met, um, by a, a vision of a man who says, No, come over to Macedonia. We need the gospel. Like, we need you over here. And I think God can work in this way. And so Paul is, is kind of compelled by the Spirit, partnership with the Spirit, a thing? Yeah, it is. Paul's compelled by the Spirit, and he goes over to Philippi. This church becomes one of his key partners in advancing the gospel. Do you think God knew that when he said, Hey, I need you to come over here? Yeah, he did. And, and so Paul, you can even see this. Philippi this road that's up here at the top Philippi down to Berea he's traveling along that road and he's taking the gospel to every city that he goes to so it's part of his strategy we see him in Acts chapter 16 he ends up landing in the city of Philippi and when he does there's he usually goes to the the synagogue first Uh, that makes sense Jesus is Jewish Paul is Jewish The Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible that prophesies the coming of the Messiah, the promised one. He would normally go there first. And then sometimes he'd be persecuted and kicked out of there. Then he'd go to the Gentiles. That was kind of Paul's normal habit of way of taking the gospel to a new city. Here, there doesn't seem to be a synagogue. And so he goes to a river where there are some people who are God-fearers. There are people who are not part of a synagogue, but they fear God, they care about God, and he meets a woman there named Lydia. She's from another city, from Thyatira, and she's a, she's a merchant. Uh, she runs coals, or I don't know, if we want to come up with a, a merchant store that's a higher profile. She's a dealer in purple cloth, so she might even be wealthy. Matt Chandler, uh, one of uh, a Christian author, speaker, he makes a big deal of this, that, that this might be her second home, and she might be someone who travels and, and is a, a merchant. I, I don't know. But at the very least, uh, she houses Paul and his companions in her home. She has to have some wealth to do that. And, and Paul continues to meet other people. As he's out by the river, he meets this slave girl. And she's, she's able to tell fortunes um, because of the spirit, uh, the, the demonic spirit that she has. Now, in our context, we'd sometimes go, well, oh, that's weird. That's so foreign. I've taken multiple trips down to Haiti uh, and been on a board of a Haitian ministry, and one story reminds me of this story every time. It's of witch doctors, whether they're effective or not, I don't know, but they were throwing their children into a mud pit in in a voodoo ceremony in order to allow them to be possessed by spirits so that they could tell fortunes so that they could go out and make money for their parents. And first of all, I remember just being like, oh my, like, is that real? I have a very modern scientific mindset, and I have to be open to the fact that these things are real. Um, the second thing is I thought about this text. And Paul meets this girl, and he heals this girl. Well, and that, that kind of offends the parents, because that's their money-making moment. So they have Paul arrested. He's beaten with rods. I, Paul's beaten up quite a bit, right? So he's beaten with rods in Philippi. So when he comes back and says, hey, by the way, you're going to suffer for the gospel. Do you think they expected that from the very beginning? Yeah, <laughs> he got beat up the first time he was in town, right? So they're going, yeah, that's kind of normal with Paul. And that's what it means to look like to follow the one who was crucified. So he's beaten with rods. But at midnight, if you remember the story, he and Silas are singing. Now, they're singing songs. And I, I just noticed that this last week. The prisoners, it says, are listening. They were listening. Well, you would be too. Like, how does someone sing in the midst of this? They're they're in stocks. This isn't like a fancy prison. They're in an inner prison. They're in stocks, and they're singing. The Roman form of stocks was normally not just to hold you, but to contort you. The, The prisoners noticed. Of course they did. And then an earthquake happens and the stocks are freed and they can escape, but they don't. And the jailer's like, well, my life is over because he would be executed if the prisoners escaped. And Paul's like, hey, we're here. I'm like, what? Why would you stay? Well, I actually stayed for you. And the jailer ends up giving his life to Christ and being baptized and his whole family is baptized as well. And at the very end, the city managers want to like release them. And Paul's like, oh yeah, that's great. You want, to go us, want us to go secretly. But did you know that we were Roman citizens when you beat us up? And they kind of had a freak out moment. Like, we can't beat up Roman citizens. Like, a Jewish rabbi, sure. But a Roman citizen? And Paul's like, I'm not going secretly. Like, I have work to do. And so in this particular city, I want you to see, Matt Chandler points this out, that, man, in these characters, in these characters in Philippi, we have this potentially a very wealthy person, a servant girl, prisoners, and a jailer or a warden. And the gospel is starting with these kinds of people. These are the kinds of people that most willingly accept the gospel, are people who are desperate for it. They're not likelies. In fact, they're the unlikelies. And so it's this particular letter that I want you to understand that Paul is not joining partnership with the elite He's joining partners with anyone who will say yes to the gospel and anyone, anyone who will respond to the good news that is found in Christ Jesus. So as he writes this letter to these people, they're facing two different things. These two things are difficulty and sometimes disunity. I, I don't know. Are those things that you face in your life? I'm married. Need I say more? Uh, I'm a parent. Need I say more? I work with other people. Need I say more? I mean difficulty and disunity kind of comes with the territory of being people in partnership in a sinful world. So you have a lot in common with these people. So when it comes to these two threats, difficulty and disunity, they become threats of advancing the gospel. Sometimes we don't advance for the gospel because of difficulty in our own life, and so we just get self-focused and self-absorbed when the best thing we could do is use our difficulty to help advance the gospel. And we need the gospel at that moment. We need it to, to advance in our life. And sometimes disunity causes us to do that as well. We, we leave church. And I, sometimes churches can hurt. We can hurt the, the people in the church. We can hurt one another. Sometimes they say, I'm done with that. I, that's my family story. My parents left the church and came back because they had me. And that was a freakout moment. Like, okay, we need to do this with some other people. And, and so I'm thankful that, that you all are coming from different stories, but I want you to hear that this story is possibly your story as well as Paul begins to write these letters. Um, so as we move on, let's notice uh, verses 6 through 11. This is going to call us to look more like Jesus. Paul says in verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, and I love this advancement theme, he who began, this is Christ, he began a good work in you, and he's going to bring it to completion on the day of Christ. My hunch is this, is that God has already been working in your life. Let him continue to work, no matter how far along you are in your faith walk. Um, I gave my life to Christ when I was 10 years old. I know that's not everyone's story, but I still have room to grow. No matter how many degrees or how much study or how many opportunities or how... No, no, no. I do not yet look like Jesus. I do not yet respond to disunity and to difficulty like Jesus so I have room to grow. Does that make me feel horrible about myself? No, only in the sense that where I know I need a savior, but it gives me hope that there's still room to grow. God is still at work in you. And Paul says, I'm sure of this. He's going to continue to bring it to completion until Christ himself comes back for you. It's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Notice the affection Paul has. You are all partners or partakers. There's our word. You are partners with me in the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and in the confirmation of the gospel. So notice, you're partners with me in the gift, but you're also partners with me in the difficulty. Boy, that's what it's like to be a partner, right? In good times and in bad times. For God is my witness. Where's Paul at when he writes this letter? He's in prison, right? What do you need when you're in prison and you're going to undergo a trial? You need people to come to your defense and bear witness. A bad person for you to have on your side to bear witness towards you is not necessarily God. Like, that's not a bad deal, right? If God stands up and says, hey, they're with me. Like, what can man do to you at that point, right? Like, if God goes, you're good, you're, you're righteous, that's that word, you're innocent, like you've been justified. Okay, God is my witness. And God is my witness in this instance of how I yearn for you this is a deep affection. I hope that you love some people this way with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is the affection that caused Jesus' insights to churn when people needed his compassion, when people needed his uh, either daily bread or his ultimate salvation that he, they found in him. Ultimately, this is going to be the heart that we're called to have in chapter two as we live with the mindset of Jesus to have people that we long for with the same affection that Christ had for us. That caused him to do what? To leave his comfort and to suffer on the behalf of someone else. Christian affection, Christian love looks like what? Someone who is willing to leave their comfort, to go suffer or serve on behalf of someone else who doesn't deserve it and can't pay you back. Parenting feels that way sometimes and sometimes I have to remember, hey, this is helping me look like Jesus. Marriage is sometimes like that. Work is oftentimes like that. Over and over again in life, we have the opportunity to live out this affection of Christ for the people around us. And Paul says, here's my prayer, prayer request of Paul. Here's my prayer, that your love may abound. Does that sound like advancing word? Okay. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in discernment. We'll kind of come back to these words so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So I asked the question earlier when I drew drew a life cycle on here, how do you know that you're growing? Well, here's one of the ways that you can know that you're growing. This might not be, for you, a bad prayer or a bad analysis to walk through in your own life, is this particular verse. I've listed them down for you. How do we know we're maturing in the gospel? Or how do we mature? Well, my love advances for people. My love that looks like, I've mentioned already, the love of Jesus. Love that's the love of Jesus says, I will leave my comfort, and I will serve and I will sacrifice someone else who can't pay me back. And I will trust God that he will bring that to glory. Okay? So my love advances. I'm growing if my love is growing. Number two, my knowledge advances. Now here's a problem. When I say knowledge, number one, um, we kind of go to the classroom in this moment. When I say knowledge, you think content sometimes, or we think textbooks. I just need to read more. That's true. This Jewish word for knowledge, this Jewish concept of knowledge is more relational. It's knowing someone. So yes, you need to know more about God, but only so that you can know him more. So when we grow in knowledge, it's growing in this relationship with God. And also, I would argue, this relationship with one another. So is our knowledge growing? And that leads to, notice how all these are connected, that leads to our ability to discern. This word discern is to measure things or to count things. It's kind of this mathematical. It ultimately is this word wisdom. You can see how discernment is there. To go, oh, this happened. So what should I choose? Door number one, door number two, door number three. My wife did this. I have three options of how I can respond. I can turn away and just ignore her for the rest of the day. That's probably not like Jesus, right? Uh, I can get mad and I can blow up in this moment. Probably not door number two, door number three. Guess what discernment says? Hey, if your love is growing, your knowledge of Jesus is growing, knowledge of your wife as well, it's going to lead to discernment to go, I guess I'll walk this way. Guess what that's going to cause you to do? To look more like Jesus and to live more like Jesus. Okay? This is about maturing to look more like Jesus and live more like Jesus. And so you become more like Jesus. You become pure and blameless, with, filled with the fruit. It becomes natural. Like these aren't things you have to force. I really want peace today. Have you ever prayed that prayer? No. The, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you know him and understand him, the more those things become a natural fruit, joy, and peace, and Patience. You can tell which one I struggle with. Patience, long-suffering. Maybe it's just because I'm a dad of three right now. But this process is something I think we need to walk through daily. Is What does it look like to grow in my love of God, grow in my love of other people, to grow in my knowledge of God, grow in my knowledge of other people, to discern what is excellent, what is true, to to do the things that help bear the fruit of righteousness or to help me become pure and blameless and bringing ultimately not glory to me. Notice who the glory comes to. It comes to God. So can I share a little secret with you about this particular text? It's interesting to me that when we get to chapter two, Jesus is going to Paul's going to say this, your mindset or your attitude ought to be the same as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to. But instead, he emptied himself. He let go. He became, and then we see this downward trajectory. He became servant, or man became a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Then, because of that, God exalted him to the highest place, that his name might be above all names. Now, notice what this does. We grow in our love for other people in our discernment and knowledge of who Christ is and who other people are, and so that we can discern the kinds of things that we should do to better love them and to better live our lives out for them. And so we can become more like Christ. We become pure and blameless and have the fruit of righteousness for the day of Christ. But why? Not to bring glory to our name, but to bring glory to the name of Jesus, to bring glory to God. We, when we live like Jesus... Look like him, but not in bringing glory to me or to you, but bringing glory to the very one that we want to bring glory to. This letter is about advancing the name of Jesus. Advancing the gospel is about advancing the name of Jesus. And so it makes sense that Paul would do this. Paul gives us examples because we need examples. That's why Jesus came, right? I mean, part of the reason Jesus came is to teach us how to walk around and how to live. If Jesus' only purpose was to come and die sacrificially for you, why come and live a life of 30, 33 years? Makes sense, right? I mean, part of the reason Jesus came was to establish for us a pattern, a model by which we are to mimic or learn from. He's a rabbi, and rabbis didn't just teach content verbally. They also lived out the way that we're called to live out that content. So we follow Jesus around. And so Jesus is the ultimate example. This is Philippians 2. We're going to get there to 1 through 11. But then he gives three more. These are people who are trying to live this same pattern. He talks about himself, Paul. In fact, he talks about, we'll see chapter one. We'll see it again in chapter three. Paul says, hey, live in, the same exa- live in the same way. Like follow the pattern of walking around. And then he gives Timothy, this young man who's been traveling with him. And he gives another guy who is associated with this church. Now, sometimes we read names and we're like, I don't know how to say that name. That's okay. Right? It'll be all right. But they knew this person. And when they thought about this person, this was a person who was sacrificing for them so that they would know Jesus more. And when they looked at these people, they went, that's what it looks like. My hunch is this. Some of you have people that you look to or or that you looked to in your life. Over the course of your life, there are names of people, not Epaphroditus probably, maybe not Timothy, but maybe it's a person that, that when someone says this name or it comes back into your memory, I saw some of you already do this. It brings a smile to your face. And some of you, those people are here in this place. Those people who are walking with you right now, helping you learn how to walk like Jesus. And you go, there's something about them. I came from a situation where I wanted to learn how to be a better husband, how to be a better father. And even as a young person, I looked to an example. His name was Greg. And I just looked at him and said, that's, that's who I want to look like when I'm older. And, and so I just started, like, following, and it's funny, you kind of, who you hang out with, you start to act like them. Like, studies have shown us this, don't they? I mean, this is pray for my wife, right? Um, this is a proven thing, that if you hang out with people who are physically fit, guess what? Regardless of where you are now, you're going to end up becoming more physically fit. If you hang out with people who are not, you're going to end up being probably less physically fit. If you hang out with people who say certain catchphrases, you're going to say things that they say. So this matters, to choose your examples. Now, we also have negative examples, and we'll walk through these uh, people as well and be able to notice them. So I want you to notice that the call of advancing the gospel is personal as well as external as we advance the gospel internally and as we advance it externally. Okay, so here's what I've given you on this last page is I've given you a list of questions um, that I'd like for you to um, walk through in the course of this week. Um, So question number one, uh, read through Philippians, pay attention to the themes studied this week, um, those themes of partnership, advancing, and gospel. Number two is a little bit more personal. Um, How can you partner with God and others in advancing the gospel in your own life? And number three, ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in love and discernment. So some prayers, and then at the end, Again, I'm not grading you on this. I give you a verse in each section to say, man, this this verse seems to capture uh, some of the core elements of what this particular section is about. And so I'll challenge you, you know, maybe extra credit. We'll give you a 10% bonus if you memorize this particular text. Um, But Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. A couple other things at the end, and this is just kind of my teaching style. So as we begin, I'm going to every week have various like appendices, things that are just interesting that... If you're like me, nerds are us. um, These are things you might geek out on. For instance, Paul really likes Greek words with the word uh, with in front of it, a prefix. You're not going to notice it. That's okay, but I've just listed those things for you. Why is that important? Because Paul wants to do everything with other people. Why? Because he likes partnership. So I just gave that to you. Um, I've also given you a list of the... Estimated dates, that other letters and uh, books of the Bible, especially New Testament, were written, so you kind of see those things in context. All right, here's what I want to do to close, and uh, we'll just take the last three or four minutes with this. I I want you around your tables just to say, here is one thing from tonight's lesson that I think is most applicable to my life. Again, you don't have to get super personal. So if you need to go, it's actually number three, but I'm going to say this is number one, right? Um, if you, this is one thing, okay, you don't have to lie. This is one thing that I found tonight that's applicable to my life. Um, I'd like you to share those things just in the last three to five minutes of our class as we close out our time. And then if someone at your table would say a prayer. Um, I'd like for, for us to close out in prayer at our tables. So if someone's bold and courageous, if I'm in a youth group, I would say, does anyone love Jesus? Um, but if, if someone at your table would close out in prayer, um, I might appreciate that. And then we will see you in two weeks as we get back together. It's been a joy having you all tonight. And uh, we appreciate it. Hope to see you back in a couple weeks. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.